Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for that great truth of that song. And we thank you that this morning, those of us who know you, know that that truth is so true. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. We would ask, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. So that you would be the speaker. You would speak to your people. And we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. Lord, we are expecting you, anticipating for you to speak. Don't just stir us, but change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning we're going to continue in our series, No Escaping God. And our passage is found in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. And the title of our sermon is called, I Can't Escape God's Presence. Now, Pastor John last week told us that David, moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote Psalm 139. And in the psalm, David tells us that God, he really highlights three characteristics of God. That God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. Can you say that with me? God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. Pastor John focus in on the fact that God is all-knowing. And he told us this, that God does not have to learn. He doesn't have to learn because he knows everything. That means you can't surprise God. There's nothing that you're going to do or going to say that God doesn't already know. He knows your past, your present, and your future. Well, this morning, we're going to be focusing in on God being all-present. And what that means is that all of God is everywhere all the time. That means God is with you all the time. No matter where you go or where you are, God is with you. He sees you. You have his full attention. Now, when you think of those two concepts, that could be intimidating. That could be almost bring fear to you because you and I know what we do behind closed doors. We know what we do and what we say. But when David writes this psalm, he's not writing this psalm in fear. Matter of fact, those concepts of God bring him great comfort. Great comfort. Now, why? Well, we know, most of us know the story of David. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. David slept with another man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. She became pregnant with, her, with his son or with his child. And David, trying to cover up his sin, had her husband murdered. So David was an adulterer and a murderer. And we know the rest of that story. Nathan, the prophet, comes and he reveals. He exposes Nathan, I mean, exposes David. And David then finally repents of his sin. And he asks the Lord to forgive him. And David is restored. God restores him and forgives him. But not without consequences to his sin. Nonetheless, David is restored And brought back into a relationship with God. Now after all this has happened, David writes in this psalm. And why it brings him great comfort is because he's experienced that. And he writes in in our psalm, we have to go back to the very beginning of the first verse to find out what's really going on in this psalm. And why David brings out three characteristics of God. He says in Psalm 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. The word search there is talking about God not only knowing your surface, 
but deep digging deep down and knows every detail of your life. David realized that he was under God's microscope. God knew everything about him. So when he was doing all of that he did that was wrong, God was there and he knew about it. But then David goes on and says this, you've searched me and you know me. That word know is the root word is found in our passage of a word found in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 when it's talking about Adam and Eve having union together. And that word can be translated relationship as well. What David discovered is that God knew all about him and he was there and he watched and he saw and in spite of all of his sin and that God still desired a relationship with him. Pastor John said it really well yet last week. He said, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And the great truth is this, that God knows you and knows me. He knows our past, our present, and our future. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he still desires to have a relationship with you and with me. And that's what David discovered. In spite of all of his sin, that God desired a relationship with him. You know, David didn't just highlight these three characteristics just by chance. Oh, David was fully aware that God is a holy God, a perfect God, a loving God, an eternal God, a just God, an infinite God. He is a God that doesn't change. I mean, I could go on and on describing the attributes and the characteristics of God. David knew all of that, but he highlights these three characteristics because he wants us to know, at least God did, and he wanted David to know that I know you, and I am with you, and next week we're going to learn that he is all-powerful, meaning that he created you. Yes, he used your mom and dad to make you, but God created you in your womb, for, in, in your mother's womb, for a purpose, and that purpose is to have a relationship with you. And David is just blown away with this concept that God knew him, he was with him, he created him for a purpose, and that purpose was to have a relationship with him. Now, usually somebody puts their hands together and thanks God for that because we all need a Savior. We all need to know that we're forgiven and that we have a God who loves us. You see, David is looking forward to the cross. We're looking back at the cross and we know that God has proven that he wants a relationship with us because he sent his son for God so loved you that he gave his only son that died on that cross for our sin and was raised again from the dead and he lives and he desires to have a relationship with you in spite of our stuff. With that being said, let's now, if you will, let's get into our passage and let's look more deeply at what it means to have God's presence, that God is everywhere all the time. But before I do that, I need to, if you will, define two theological terms and that define God. These, these, they don't define God, but they explain who God is in two concepts. And, they're, and these words are transcendent and intimate. Imminent, transcendent. Transcendent means this, that God is above his creation. He is greater than what he created. That's transcendent. He's above what he created and greater than. Intimate means this. It means that God is close. He is near. He is with his creation. In other words, he's above and greater than his creation, but yet he is with his creation. Now, some people take this a lot further than they should, and they say that God is not only with, but he's in all of his creation. That's called pantheism, and that's not, that's not how God describes himself in the Bible at all. No, they, pantheists say that God is in the trees, he's in the rocks, 
He's in the, he's in the sun. He's in the plants. No, no. God isn't in them. He's with them. However, there is one creation that can actually have God dwelling within him, and that's mankind. Those of us who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we're born again of the Spirit and that Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, we are created in the image of God. We are set apart from all of his creation. You and I are unique. We're special because we're created in the image of God. God created us with a mind, a body, and a spirit. The rocks can't have a relationship with God. The trees, the planets, the sun. But we can because we're human beings created in the image of God. But we have a problem. The problem is that the Bible says all of us have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. So what died? We're created with a mind and a body and a spirit. The moment we sinned, we were born. We were separated from God because of sin. God is spirit and we had a void in our life. A spiritual void. Our minds and our bodies, they're operating. They're dying. They're not yet dead. But we were dead in our spirit. But Jesus Christ so loved us. God so loved us that he sent his son. And Jesus died on that cross for your sin and for mine. He was raised again from the dead and he lives. And now we can, we can by faith, ask him to be our savior. And in that moment, he erases our sin He deletes it, and now he can bring us, he alone can bring us back into a right relationship with God. And the Bible says that we are born again of the Spirit. Once we ask Jesus into our hearts, we repent of our sin, and that moment we are born again in the Spirit. In other words, we have a relationship with the living God. You see, all the other things that God created are his creation, and we are part of that. But we are the only part of the creation that can be a child of the living God. So you see, he's above all of his creation, but yet he is with it. But the difference between just being with us and in us is believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you can have a personal relationship with him. With those things being said now, understanding all that, let's really get into our passage. You ready? Here we go. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What David is saying about God's presence is this, that all of God is everywhere all the time. Can you say that with me? All of God is everywhere all the time. That doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that God is like peanut butter, which is spread across a piece of toast. Like some of God is on this side of the toast, and some of God is on that side of the uh, side of the toast. No. It isn't like some of God is in Calcutta, some of God is in Chicago, some of God is in Pittsburgh. No, no. It's like this. All of God is in Calcutta. All of God is in Chicago. All of God is in Pittsburgh, and all of God is in this room. He's here, right here. Right now. People will say, well, I can't see God. Where is he? I can't see him. You know, years ago in the 60s, and many of us were alive in those days. Now, that's not a cut on you. I mean, I'm just making a statement. I was there as well. And the Russians sent what we call an astronaut. They call a cosmonaut. They sent an ast- a cosmonaut into space. 
When that Russian got home, that Russian pilot came back to the earth, he looked at the Russian people and he said this, I was in, the, I was in space and I looked around and God isn't there. He's not there. I would have loved to have gone to that Russian pilot, cosmonaut, and I would have said, let me ask you this. You say that you didn't see God, so God isn't there, but did you see the solar wind? Did you see gravity? Oh, it was there, without a doubt. You didn't see it, but it was there. I would say to us in this room, do you see the oxygen in this room? Oh, it's here. We know it's here because we can breathe. Oh, it's here. Do you see the technology waves flying through this room? Well, all you got to do is get a phone call on your cell phone and you know they're here. Folks, there's a lot of things that we believe in that we can't see. Isn't that faith? Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Right now, just because we don't see him, it doesn't make him any less present. He's here. Matter of fact, by the way, 2,000 plus years ago, they saw God. Emmanuel, God with us. The person of Jesus Christ. He was the visual and verbal expression of the invisible God. He was the God man. And he showed up and this is what he said. If you see me, you've seen the Father. For the Father and I are one. He was declaring his deity. And what's amazing is that Jesus Christ went to a cross for you and me. And he died on that cross. He was raised again from the dead. So not only that God would be with us, but we would know him personally. That we would be born again of the spirit of God for those of us who believe. You see, you're unique. God created you. And he made you for a relationship. And he's not just with you. He's in you. You are called the, part, you are called the body of Christ the family of God. That's what we are. That's who we are. We're the people of God because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, let me break down this passage for us so we have a better understanding what what David is saying to us about God being with us. This is what it says in verse 8. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. When it says, if I make my bed in the depths, it's referring to the grave. What David is saying is this, going to heaven or going to the grave isn't going to bring God any closer to you than he is right now. You're as close to God as you're ever going to be. Going to heaven doesn't bring you any closer. Going to the grave, what he's talking about is death. Death doesn't bring you any closer to God than you are right now. The only difference is, as believers, is that Absent from the body, present with the Lord, the curtain's drawn, drawn back, and we actually see God face to face. But God is as close to you right now as he's ever going to be. He's here. And those of you that know him, he's with you. He goes on and says in verse 9, he says, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, talking about sunrise, if I settle on the far side of the sea, he's talking about sunset, even there, your, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. That's verse 10. David is realizing it doesn't matter if I go to the east to the west. He's already talked about heaven and the grave. He's talking about the highest and the lowest points of the universe, if you will. He's saying no matter where I go, 
East, west, north, south, doesn't matter. If I go to the lowest part of the ocean, highest part of the mountains, it doesn't matter because God is there. And he says, and what's amazing is he guides me, and then he uses this word. Your right hand will hold me fast. Right hand is referring to God's power and protection. He is saying, as I go, God is with me. As I travel, God is with me. And when I finally get to my destination, God is there waiting for me because all of God is everywhere all the time. He's with you. But then I love what he does in verse 11 and 12. He says this, If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is light to you. Now there's no doubt about it that David is bringing out the point that you cannot hide from God. He's in the dark and the light. You can't pull covers over your head, remember when you were a kid, and think that no one can see you. No, God can see you. He's there. He's with you. I remember when I was playing hide and seek with this little girl one time. And she covered her eyes like this and she thought I couldn't see her. You know, God is there. He's in the dark and the light. Doesn't matter. He's there with you. And that could be frightening. But at the same time, it could be really comforting because of this. He's talking about light and darkness. He's talking about the great times. The most awesome time of your life. The good times. He said God's there in the good times. And then when you have the bad times, you're in the valley. You're in the darkest pit of your life. There's no pit so deep that God's presence isn't deeper still. He's there with you in the bad times and the good times. What we need to remember is this, that do not doubt in the light what God has shown you in the dark. Do not doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. He is with you in the good times and the bad times. He is with you. And hear me. See, David is looking forward to the cross. We're looking back at the cross. And we hear I do. I hear the promise of Jesus. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what it means in the Greek? Only the English can say that. It can only say, I will never leave you or forsake you. But in the Greek, it's written like this. I will know, no, never, ever, no, never, ever, ever leave you. In other words, God is saying to us in the person of Jesus Christ proclaimed it. He will never, ever abandon you. He's not like human beings like us who are sinful. He will never, ever abandon you. Ever. Billy Graham tells a story about a man who came to know Christ at one of his crusades. The crusade was in Chicago. This man was a doctor, but he had an alcohol problem. And the alcohol took his practice, his family, his wife, his kids, everything from him. And he was homeless, walking the streets of Chicago. When Billy Graham came into town. And during one of his services, this homeless doctor, homeless, walked into his service. And he heard about how Jesus Christ loved him. How he wanted to redeem him, deliver him, and restore him. And he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And Jesus changed his life. A few years later, it was amazing. The Lord restored him. He brought him back. His his practice, he was practicing medicine medicine again in a hospital in Chicago. He brought his family back, his wife and his children. He was put all back together again. And one of his friends from the street when he was homeless, this man was still homeless, walked into his office and sat down and said, Doc, tell me, what happened to you? He said, I came to know Christ and Christ put me back together. He said, are you telling me that you don't drink anymore? He said, yeah, I don't drink anymore. 
And he got this funky look on his face, and he smiled, and he said, Come on, Doc, you got to be kidding me. Listen, if there was a bottle of Scott's scotch sitting up on your back shelf behind you nobody knew it was there and nobody was here in the room you're alone you wouldn't crawl up on that shelf grab that bottle of scotch and drink it and the doctor quickly looked at him leaned over his desk looked that friend in the eye and said no i wouldn't because you see i'm never alone anymore i'm never alone anymore jesus christ is with me and when i can't And I turn to him. He can. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know all that's going on, but God does in your life. He knows where you are. He knows what you've been doing. He knows your needs. He knows your needs physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally. And you might be sitting out there saying, one or two of you saying, you know, okay, God is with me, but Ed, I don't know if if I'm with him. I know maybe I'm a creation of God's. I got that. But I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know that. Well, you can today, right here, right now. Jesus Christ is committed to you. He died on the cross for your sin. He was raised again from the dead. And because he did that, if you will call upon him, the Bible says anybody who calls upon his name shall be saved. That means you, you can be forgiven of your sin. See, Jesus is the only one who has the power and the authority to forgive you and to give to you eternal life because he died on the cross for you and he was raised again from the dead. He conquered sin and death for you. And he's here today and he's desiring a relationship with you. That's why you've been created, to know him. And just as he knows you, he wants you to know him today. So much so that he loved you and he died for you and he's raised again from the dead. He wants to know you personal. But the only way that's going to happen is if you say to him, I need you as my savior because I know that I've sinned. And what you're saying is, as you've committed to me, Lord, I want to commit to you. And if you'll do that, the Lord Jesus Christ will change your life. This is the greatest decision of your life. So I'm, I'm going to have you sit there for a moment and think about that. And I'll come back to you. But now I want to talk to those of us who are believers. We know that we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. We know that. But as we sit out here this morning, we know that God is with us. But we don't feel like we are with him. It's like we're on a treadmill, a religious treadmill. We're, we're doing everything that's right. We're doing what we're supposed to, but there's just no presence. There's no sense of him in my life. There used to be. Oh, I remember when I sensed his presence. I remember when I could hear his voice. I remember when I walked into church, it was like God was speaking right to me. I remember when I prayed, it was like I was talking to God, but now it's like I pray and like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. When I go to the word of God, it's like I'm in a desert. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that I've been there. There's a time, I, I've said this before, but I'm going to tell you again because it's appropriate. I've been there a couple of times, but one of the times I remember most, very vividly, was the time that I was in seminary. And I remember getting up one morning and I went to prayer. And, and when I was praying, I was always seeking his hand before I ever sought his face. You ever do that? You're praying because you have so much on your plate, you, so many things going on, so much need. So you pray, pray. But I'm not looking for his face. I'm just looking for his hands to help me. And then when I was reading the word, I was reading the word for information, but not for transformation. I was getting assignments done. I was just reading. I was just going through it. But nothing really was happening. I wasn't ever entering into his presence. Not that God had moved, but I did. And I knew it. 
And I remember crying out to God, God, please visit me. Please visit me. And I went to class. Got up from my knees, went to class. I was in class. And in between classes, I ran a senior citizens ministry down in the city in a high-rise building every Sunday night. I had about 60 to 70 seniors there, and we'd do a service. And I was bringing down a projector because I was going to show a movie. And as I was going, there was one person I did not want to meet, and her name was Mrs. Whitehead. And the reason I didn't want to meet Mrs. Whitehead, well, first of all, she was a wonderful woman. I mean, the most godly, gracious woman. I loved her, but she would talk. When I would meet her, she'd just talk, talk, talk. And I was in a hurry. I had to get back to class. So I didn't want to run into her, just being honest. So I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't want to meet Mrs. Whitehead today. So as soon as I walked into the lobby, who did I meet? Mrs. Whitehead. There she's standing there, and she's talking to me, she's talking, and I'm standing there. I got ants running through my body. I mean, I'm filled with so much anxiety because I got so much to do. I'm standing there, but then finally she says this, Ed, could you help me? I said, yeah, sure, I can help you. And I sat the projector down, and I said, what do you need? She said, you know, I have arthritis, you know that, and I got my key stuck in the door in my apartment. I can't get the, t- the key to turn. Can you help? I said, Sure. So we got in the elevator. When I went over to the elevator, I kid you not, I hit the button, and that elevator opened up like molasses. I mean, just so slow. And why is it, these ants are running through my body. I'm just going nuts. I finally get inside the elevator. I said, where do you live? Very top. Hit the top button, and that thing is going slow. It's, and it's rattling, and it's pinging. And it's back. We finally get to the top, and those doors open up again really slow. And she's talking, she's praising God, she's thanking God, and I'm standing there, and I'm watching the clock, I'm watching my watch, and we finally get outside, and it's a long hallway, it's like a bowling alley. I said, where do you live? You guessed it, at the very end. The problem is, she walked like this. And I'm standing there, and I'm walking with her, and I gotta tell you, it took everything inside me, not just to pick her up and run her down to the end of the hall. I really did. I just, I said, no, God, no, God. And I'm walking with her and I'm listening. We're talking. And she's praising God. She's thanking God. We get to the very end and the key's in the door. And I tell you the truth, I just simply turned that key. Those of you that have arthritis, my heart goes out to you. Just turn that door like that. And she went inside. Of course, I bolted down the hallway. I'm running down the hallway. She's thanking God. She's praising God. And I'll never, I get to the elevator, hit the button. Doors are opening up. This time I just pulled those doors open like that. And I remember looking down and the woman's, she's, Mrs. Whitehead, she's sitting outside her door going, thank you, Pez. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. God bless you. I jump in the elevator, hit the L button, get down to the bottom, tear the doors open again, run over, get the projector, set it up, get back to my car, race back to my car, and I went fast, broke the law, sinned again, went in, broke, ran into my room, sat in my chair, sweat running right off my brow, but I made it. I was on time. Sunday night, I went back to do the seniors' ministry. I walked in, 60, 70 people standing in the lobby. I walked in, I said, what's going on? They said, haven't you heard? I said, no, Mrs. Whitehead, they said. Mrs. Whitehead died. Right when they said that, I thought, I could have been the last person Mrs. Whitehead had seen. Well, we did the service. We got done with the service. I loaded up the car, and I was driving back to the dorm. As I was driving in the car, I remembered that prayer. Oh, Lord, visit me. God, visit me. Please visit me. And then this verse came to me. 
In Matthew 25, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me something to wear. When I was in prison, you came and you visited me. Whatever you've done unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. And I realized, Mrs. Whitehead, Jesus dwells within her. He was there. How I treat Mrs. Whitehead is a great example of how I'm treating God. Because how I treat her tells me how I'm really treating him. And I realized that I was so busy, I was almost too busy for God. And it wasn't that God moved, I did. Because he never leaves me nor forsakes me. It wasn't that I couldn't enter into his presence, I never took the time to do it. So you know what I did? What I did when I went back into my dorm, I got a chair. And I sat that chair in that room like this. And then I imagined that the Lord Jesus Christ was in that chair. Now I knew he's in me, but he's also there. And then I knelt down on my knees like this. And I began to talk to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told him that I wasn't going to get up until I sensed his presence again. Until I could hear his voice again. Until I knew that I could hear him. By the time I was done, my head was in the chair because my head was in his lap. But when I got up, I could hear his voice. I could sense his presence. And it started all over again. It's like I came back to my first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you today? Can you sense his presence? Do you hear his voice? He's right here in this room, right now. Now I want to go back and talk, and I am encouraging you, those of you that are believers, to pull up a chair and make sure you know him. If you're here today and you're not sure that you know Jesus, you're not sure that you are a child of the living God, you can right now. By simply asking Jesus to forgive you, of your sin, that you tell him, I need you, Lord Jesus, as a Savior, and you commit yourself to him, and he'll commit himself to you, and you'll become a child of the living God, and you will be born again of his spirit. If you'd like to do that, pray this prayer with me. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I have heard today that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, and I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you today to be my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your spirit, Lord Jesus. I thank you for what you did, and I want to know you. I commit myself to you. And I ask for the fullness of your spirit that I would serve you the rest of my life. For, Lord, we thank you, I thank you, and we praise you for what you have done. And, Lord, we thank you that you are with us, and you won't leave us nor forsake us. For, Lord, you have said this, and we believe it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
If you prayed that prayer, I'm asking you to go to a pastor and tell them today that you've come to know him. Those of us who know him, know he's with you. Draw near to him.